0: It's Raja here from the We Are Project and welcome to a new episode on our podcast where today's topic of discussion is on the impact of the current situation on tomorrow's roles and participation of the women in the aviation industry. So now we know that the pandemic um, has impacted all industries one way or another, but today we will be looking into some of the endeavors that the aviation industry were progressing on and how the current situation today has impacted this. So who better to discuss this topic, if not Katie, um, founder of the We Are Project, and our special guest today, Sarah Kalmetta, CEO of Pivots Points. Hello, ladies. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today. How are you Hello. both doing?
1: Thank you for joining, uh, um, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Okay. Um, so welcome again, Sarah, to our podcast. and We really appreciate this. Um, can you just, I know you're so well known in the region, but uh, could you just, uh, you know, give us a little on your background and your involvement in aviation, you know, in the past and how you involved with, uh, with the industry currently? Of course. Um, good morning, everyone. Thank you again for having
2: me. My name is Sarah Calmetta. Um, As mentioned, I'm the CEO and founder of Pivot Point. I'm also a dual entrepreneur and I'm very focused on holistic solutions and living life authentically. So Pivot Point is my coaching and consulting platform that I established earlier this year to help individuals and corporations going through times of change, which is especially salient right now. And I'm extremely passionate about helping others reach their full potential and lead fulfilling and authentic lives, both at work and at home. So through Pivot Point, I work with corporations, schools, and individuals to become their critical success partner. So if they're feeling stuck, if they're unsure of their next direction, which many people coming from the aviation industry are, then that's where I come in to help them reframe and rebrand themselves and redefine what they view as success. I always remind people that the glass is refillable. So a little bit on my background in aviation. Um, I've been a passionate aviation enthusiast since very young age. My very first two words were for star and airplane, if you believe it or not. And <laughs> since then, I've been looking upwards at the sky. Um, you know, originally I had dreams of being an astronaut or a fighter pilot, but unfortunately my eyesight was not 2020. And, and in order to be able to fulfill those positions, The technology at the time did not allow um, any corrective eye surgery to take place. So I switched tracks. I pivoted, if you will, and I looked at what could I do that would enable me to still be within the aviation industry and still pursue those passions. So um, my high school year level, I was from about 14 through the age of 18 joining a program called Civil Air Patrol, which in the United States is the Auxiliary Air Force. It's for teenagers, kind of like an ROTC program. And in that program, I was focusing on aviation study, learning about the history of aviation, getting uh, test flights, learning how to fly an airplane, doing search and rescue and eventually um, moving up the ranks because we followed the same uh, ranking system as the Air Force. So I was having practice, leading a team, public speaking, presenting from a very young age. And it made me realize that I just loved being in that environment. I loved being at the airport. I loved being around airplanes and other aviation enthusiasts, but I didn't have the passion that some of my friends had to become a pilot. And why do I say okay. that? Well. It's a very unique lifestyle for one, Um, and I didn't have the drive of eating McDonald's or ramen just to get one more flight hour, but I still loved being in that high energy and passionate environment. So I found a degree called um, Aviation Business. It was a bachelor's in aviation business at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and I went to the campus in Prescott, Arizona, and I also studied Um, Asian culture. So I learned Mandarin, I learned all about the Asian region, the history, the culture, and the language of China, but then also India and other parts of Asia Pacific. And that's really what brought me out to Asia and where I've been for the last 10 years working in the corporate aviation sector. So my first my second job, excuse me, out of um, university was working for a business jet operator in California that had jets based in Singapore and Hong Kong. And with my background of study, they hired me. And eventually I was sent to Singapore to train the staff. And since then I fell in love with the region and I've been in the industry working for other aircraft management companies or trip support providers, specifically in the business aviation
1: space. Um, that's that's really impressive. You know, you seem to be uh, very talented in so many ways. You mentioned this program that you were in. How yes. long was this program in terms of you know uh, how many was it a, a few months, few weeks? So it was a
2: something that we met every Tuesday night um, at my particular squadron, and I joined when I was okay. a freshman in high school, so um, I had three, four years in the program, but you can join at a much younger age as well, and then once you hit 18, you can become what they call a, a senior member, and then you can act as a mentor to other um, kids in the program. Um, okay. I was, of course, one of few females, but it also got me used to that environment. As we know that the women in aviation is not as high of a percentage as we'd like to see, but it has grown a lot since I was in that program. And since I was at university, when I went to university, I was uh, a statistic of one out of 10 students that was female. And now at okay. the US campus, that's more like one of six. So it, it has improved. And in the Asian campus as well, I believe Simon Chi in Singapore had mentioned recently on your looking into the crystal ball uh, webinar the other day about how the increase in student population of women in the program was an increase of around 40% in recent years, which is excellent.
1: That is definitely an impressive number. Uh, Do you think the number of women, uh, more females in aviation in the West, like you mentioned in the US, uh, is it simply because there has been more emphasis on programs like that for, for uh, younger, you know, the youth uh, to stop them early and, and understand what the industry is all about and to generate interest? And uh, perhaps do you think that is the key reason in terms of if you compare the numbers, uh, the West and, and in Asia? Yes, I do think that is a factor, of
2: course. Uh, We do have to remember that in the US, there are over 3000 airports and only around 11% of them are used for commercial traffic. So what does that mean? That means that there are airports in some of the tiniest towns across the United States. And so you grow up with being around an environment of having a small airfield, maybe your uncle or your teacher or your mother, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they have a small airplane that they fly on the weekends or, you know, the hobbyists. It's a lot of
1: hobby flying there.
2: Exactly, a lot of hobby flying, a lot more GA, it's a lot more accessible, but 100% you hit the nail on Mm -hmm. the head. Um because of that environment, it has fostered these programs that whether it's MBAA or associations like we have, which you know women in corporate aviation or women in aviation international, they often have programs aimed specifically at youth and oftentimes as well a big push for young girls to go yes. into the industry. And I think if we look back to you know, like yes. World War II time, that's when we had women. Go into the workforce and help manufacture airplanes and help go on be on the assembly line to help the war efforts, right? And that was a big shift in women being yeah. in the workforce. And so we have a lot of that now, and it's really starting at that young age to nurture and foster that interest rather than allowing society or peers to dictate where you should be going for your career. You know, we need to nurture and foster the flame and that passion for aviation at a young age, uh, no matter whether they're young boys or girls.
1: Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, you know, aviation in the U.S., they're huge and they've been there for a very long time. So, uh, and and I see that they're very, very active. So they really make a lot of effort to, you know, uh, work on activities and, and anything that would uh, would encourage uh, the youth uh, and and females. You know, uh, so I think yeah. that is that is a really great thing, and we really want to you know um, that's what we want to try to do in Asia because we feel we feel that it is lacking. I mean, that's from a general perspective. You know, overall naturally. You know, with the mindset, with the way the, the you know the society a conservative society. Uh, of course, it varies even within the you know the region in Asia. You can't just sort of say, okay, in an entire Asia, it's the same. It varies definitely from country to country. But what is your overall view on women in aviation?
2: Well, I think women in aviation are incredibly important to have, no matter what industry you're in, gender... Um, diversity and you know diversity and inclusion of all different whether it's an ethnic group a gender an age group you know um, a particular skill set it's so incredibly important to have variety so that we can have creativity we can have innovation and if we think about it when we look at for example a company companies have advisory boards right so that the people who are running the company get advice from different specialists, different experts, and that helps them to form a more holistic view. So by that same token, we need to have equality with all different viewpoints and different genders and skill sets in order to make sure that aviation really has the best chance of success and longevity. There will of course be changes, especially we're looking at COVID, changing how we are traveling. We're not traveling at the moment. but some, sometimes these ideas and these beliefs that we have traditionally held, they're now breaking down. And so that's allowing some shifts to take place, which I think is actually very exciting for women in particular. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go into that a little bit. I think that with working from home scenarios, we are now able to exhibit the success that is possible, even when we're not all physically at The office. And it will enable a lot of women in particular, because traditionally speaking, and especially as you mentioned in Asian countries where maybe it's a bit more conventional or traditional mindset still, and it hasn't taken that shift yet, women are the natural caregivers. Right, So whether it's a child or an elderly parent or um, anything of that nature, it usually falls to the women to help take care of the family. And so if there's now working models that allow women to reduce the amount of time they have to commute to the office because they're working from home a few times per week, or perhaps they're able to take their children to school, then log on and get their work done, pick them up, you know, have dinner and then come back on and finish their work You know, we're we're seeing new business models emerge that will be more friendly for this caregiver role, which traditionally is held by women.
1: Yes. Um, Well, I mean, I suppose that is true, what you said, uh, for certain types of roles in in aviation. I mean, obviously, if you're doing, you know, a desk job uh, in leadership roles, you can do that. But if you have to be hands-on on on an aircraft and engineering, um, so naturally that, you know, it doesn't quite apply to that. Um, So we still need the fact that, you know, more women, so say, for example, I mean, you talked about, you know, diversity and bringing in, uh, you know, ideas, uh, having more women in the industry. Um, do you have any, could you give us any kind of example that um, having more women in, in in terms of a particular um, element that they can bring to the industry, if there was more women, um, you know, Ideas or thought processes, or do you think the way women think, the way they juggle, they are, are born, um, you know, um, what do you call that? Um, juggling know, yeah. Uh, they, they manage time very well. So, do you think these are all elements that would definitely be a very big positive uh, uh, importance in, in their role as, uh, as part of this industry? You know, I think
2: that um, those are great points. I do want to point out that obviously that's a generalization. We definitely have some women who are not so good at those tasks and some men who are also good at those tasks. Um, But what I do see, what what I can say is from my time in Asia, the last 10 years, I have noticed Mm a trend of more women working with an aviation and not just in support roles like finance or HR, but also in operations, dispatching aircraft, uh, managing the flight crew, also pilots, um, working, working in the regulatory space, you know, jobs traditionally Mm -hmm. by men. And as you said, most women and most men will approach problems differently we know that as a fact that's why there's right. books like what is it a men, women are men are from venus women are from mars or you know these different titles that we have because it's just a fact of nature that the way we approach situations is different and like with anything, yes. you need those differences in order to challenge status quo in order to break free of models that no longer serve so that you can evolve. You know, if you surround yes. yourself with all of the same, you know, then you will not get that opposing you and you might live in a very kind of insular uh, world, which means that, Absolutely. you know, you're getting reinforcement that what you're doing is correct and that there's your way is the best way. Um, and you can think of it almost like the, social dilemma, the so the, you know the media, social media documentary on Netflix. And, you know, the problem with that is that if you are exposed to just one world view and everyone's constantly reinforcing that view and you never get another perspective, that really limits the growth mm-hmm. that you can have and opportunities that you can have. So it's really important to have that diversity in order to be able to have a balance between approach um, between structure and to have a balance in ideas, to bounce ideas off of, you know, we're not saying that one gender over the other is better, but we need to have a mix so that we can have a dynamic mix, constantly growing uh, team.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with you there, Sarah. And uh, um, I mean, we know, you know, so much of effort has been made in the past to uh, increase this number um, and, you know, have more uh, women in the, in the, uh, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know that the current COVID situation has really t- uh, regressed this effort. Um, how, I mean, we know the industry will turn around, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a matter of time. Um, so how do we currently ensure that all the past efforts that, that that has been made do not go to waste and how do we still keep the young encouraged to stay their course if you know they've chosen sort of say they really want to be in aviation but the current situation has really dampened their spirits and uh the, you know and and particularly so i think it's impacted the students who are in in, uh, in universities and colleges that offer aeronautical courses who are who are doing aeronautical courses. And I'm sure they must be wondering, what are we gonna do when we when we leave school? Yes. And uh, so how do we keep, keep them encouraged and inspired?
2: That's an excellent question. And so one of the things that I actually do with Pivot Point is I work with student groups, in particular ones that are about to enter okay. the workforce or that are about to choose their career okay. and choose their degree. And, you know, we just launched a program with HKU Space uh, between ASVA Discovery, which is the um, okay. Business Aviation Associations, student outreach and development program that I've been running since 2017 which we um, yes. link up with organizations like yours and we go into different schools from secondary age level all the way to postgraduate to talk about careers in aviation. Um, obviously okay. this year has been a really hard hit for the aviation industry and you know as you said students who are in the Schools already studying aviation are nervous for when they graduate and students that may have wanted to choose something in aviation are wondering and second guessing themselves, is that really a viable career? Um, so both with ASBA Discovery, um, this program we just launched with HKU Space is specifically for business aviation, but okay. they get a, two, two modules to get a certificate degree where they will learn about operations and business okay. management within the context of corporate aviation. So obviously the operations course is quite specific, a little bit more technical. And while it's more of an introductory course, it's a fantastic training tool. So existing companies can send their teams to this program. you know, let's say they've just hired someone that's brand new to aviation, they can send them to this course and it takes the honors off of their internal training because as we know, business aviation and aviation sometimes is learned by trial and error, learned by watching what your boss does. And the, but the other module, the business management one, yes, we're focusing on models within the business aviation sphere, but you're also learning business skills. And this is what I w- this is what I talk about now as well with Pivot Point. I've been giving several lectures to mm-hmm. different universities around Hong Kong and Singapore, and we've been doing workshops okay. to help the students' skill set. And so, I like okay. to use myself as an example. I've been working in the corporate aviation industry for the last twelve years, and you've heard me speak on when I you know first came on the show about my passion since a very young age, right? So, aviation's yes. been a part of my identity for over 30 years. And now all of a sudden, you know, earlier this year, I lost my role in my corporate job because, you know, the business was shrinking and they had to go to a survival mode and they cut, you know, over 40% of the staff. And it was, you know, really hard times. And we're seeing that translate across now into other industries, not just aviation. Yeah. And of course, here in Hong yeah. Kong, we recently had Cathay Dragon completely shut down. So that means huge numbers of loss for pilots, flight attendants, engineers, you know, all the support staff. So it's a really tough time. What I like to tell people is we need to allow the emotions that we experience to come up because we're essentially having grief for this part of our life that no longer exists, right? We need to honor and respect that process rather than stuff it down. But what I also remind them is we need, let's reframe, let's shift our thinking, let's look at it in a different light from a different angle. And what will this teach us? So we're learning resilience. We're now able to do other things that maybe we put to the side because we thought it wouldn't make us money or we didn't have time. So I would encourage everyone in this situation to explore those things that had been put on the shelf, getting dusty. and re-explore what it is that you enjoy doing because it's not just aviation you know i love aviation to death it's a passion of mine you know i'm very passionate about getting young ones and young women in the program um, to to go and have careers in this amazing field but i want them to also make sure that they are aware of what other opportunities that they have and what other passions that they have because i'm a firm believer in multiple lines of revenue. So multiple streams of income. So it doesn't have to only be aviation that brings in an income for you. And perhaps for a time, it will be something different that is actually your job making money that pays the bills. But aviation is still something that you feed and re-energize yourself because it's your passion. And so I I pivoted earlier this year, not only to create pivot points, and to coach others through times of transition and change, because I've been there, done that many times. Um, and then I've also set up an e-commerce business. And if you told me in January earlier this year, "Hey, Sarah, you'd be selling things online and you'd be developing a lifestyle and wellness brand," I probably would have laughed at you and said, "No, I'm not going to do that. I I don't sell things. I don't I don't want to do that." And I said yes to an opportunity yeah. in um, May. June, end of May, June timeframe. And now all of a sudden, you know, the the brand has exploded in growth. We have, um, we're about to move into a warehouse with our products, we're developing new products. You know, it's very exciting Um, and I'm loving it. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning about e-commerce, shipping and logistics, how to build a website, um, customer service at a retail level, rather than a, um, you know, the VIP level, it, it, it is a different mindset. So yes. while I'm doing that, that's, you know, um, giving me all these now opportunities for collaboration to also bring my coaching to the table and deliver workshops. And it's also proof that you can do something different, that you can split. Yes.
1: So you, you, you're basically saying that, you know, even those students who are doing the programs, aeronautical programs, they could seriously look into reskilling. Um, and even though if it is uh, an industry that is not directly related, a, a correlated industry, perhaps.
2: Correct. And you know what? Um, Ember riddle Asia as well was talking about on the advisory board meeting we had yesterday about stackable degrees. Okay. So that as you're going to school, you can okay. actually stack and you spend a little bit less time, but you can get more um, degrees together, right? And so you, okay. you um, mm-hmm. prove your toolkit and your skill set yeah. But definitely what what I yes. think the point here is that use the time that you have to look at support areas to aviation. What are the growth areas? So for example, digitalization. We already know that in the cockpit or on the flight deck, it's a completely glass, um, right? It's yes. all electronic. And so even engineers are moving from mechanical engineers to almost like IT engineers. Mm-hmm. And you know, airplanes already don't really need humans in the flight deck. We can manage most of the process from the ground, but it's public perception. Exactly remotely.
1: Yes. Remotely. So, yeah. So yeah. It's exactly. is
2: drones, you know, drones in um, Australia are already delivering things for Amazon. You know, it's a huge industry. Absolutely. The drone industry alone is going from six billion dollars in 2018 to over 60 billion in 2025. Mm-hmm. That is exponential mm-hmm. growth. And these are all areas that can keep you within aviation, but they may not be the yes. traditional role that you envision. So my advice to these students is to stay involved with community programs and associations such as WIA or ASBA, you know, find um, a community that is of like-minded individuals. So you stay connected, you know, don't be afraid to try something different within the industry talk to people uh, on LinkedIn. I run workshops on how to network effectively using LinkedIn because we cannot go to physical networking events for the moment. And leverage, you know, people in your network to learn from them and see what are the trends? What skills do I need to develop? You know, will learning JavaScript or computer programming, will that help me in my career, web development? Because the more skills like that that you have, the more valuable you become to the company you are going to work for, or by the same token, the company yeah, that set up itself.
1: Agreed, agreed. Very well said, um, uh, Sarah. You know, um, just um, you know, I have another question for you. I mean, I like what's your take on this? Um, when the industry starts to revive and it will take a you know, at a slow pace, I mean, we don't know what the pace would be, but you know, yes. we're assuming that it would have to start slowly and then you know, build uh, bit by bit. Um, obviously, you know, the, there will be less positions available yes. for when, when rehiring starts. Do you think at this point that companies would look at hiring back more males and not as many females, again, because, you know, it's been a struggle to have more women in aviation. And in this case, you know, the traditional sense is that the male is the main breadwinner. So, you know, they need the jobs first. Do you think that mindset still stays or do you think that I'm wrong on this one?
2: Um, I would like to challenge your thought, your belief on that, definitely, because I think while some companies may have held that belief, and it depends, of course, what country we might be talking about, but I know several well-known aviation organizations that are led by women and at the top management level as well. And, you know, I think what Mm -hmm. we need to do here is we need to challenge and keep the organizations and societies, the governments, accountable for not going backward. We need to have, you know, the conversations that stick and, you know, again, like I mentioned before, look at this time as this is how we can include more women into the workforce in less uh, and excuse me and non-traditional models but still have just as much productivity. I've been speaking with a few um, colleagues of mine in the industry and there are several big organizations that ran a study over this last year to establish were their teams more productive or not and were they efficient and actually they realized that they were achieving more and so the long term they're looking at business models where you know they've already downsized their offices they've already established that it this model can work Um, and each company of course might be a bit different but some companies are already saying that long-term solution will already be you know maximum 40 50 percent being in the office and they'll rotate you know who's in that office and this means Lower overhead for the company as well. And it means happier employees because they have a more holistic lifestyle. So I think with this in mind, Mm -hmm. it should actually encourage them to hire more women. And we just need to make sure that we, you know, we as business owners make those decisions and we don't let bias or traditionalist. You know, this is the way it's always been. So therefore it must always be this way. We need to just overcome that and be the change we want to see the rest of the companies doing.
1: And I and I certainly hope that you know efforts like the Discovery program and the we are project. Um, will sort of, you know, keep the, um, the, the um, points out there that, uh, you know, women are equally a part, need to be a part of this industry. And like you said, for various reasons, you know, the, the contribution uh, as, as, a, as a whole. Um, before we sort of let you go, Sarah, is there anything else that you might want to add or say to to our yes. listeners?
2: Yes, thank you very much. Um, I definitely want to highlight, which may have come up on your call the other day as well, um, the Dream Soar nonprofit uh, uh, organization that Shaista uh, wears encourages girls to enter careers in STEM. I think her numbers have mimicked what, you know, Ember Riddle's enrollment numbers of over 40% growth over the past three years is showing, but You know, we have a lot of intelligent young ladies and women that are passionate about engineering, about STEM careers, whether it's in aviation or in other areas. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more focus on uh, those programs, but we need cultural and emotional intelligence to also be taught from a young age. And this is key for the next generation because the higher the emotional intelligence, the higher the cultural awareness, then the more likely we are to see diversity and inclusion on all levels. And we need a new model to produce a different output. If we continue to use the same model and we just change the people, the output differential is very minimal. so it's not just the right thing to do to close the gap between men and women, but it absolutely makes sense from a monetary perspective. And as a duty to the shareholders, that we do this. Um, so it's really a missed opportunity as I would say that, um, not mining the skills of women and girls. And then we also need to have programs and make sure that women understand that, you know, they might be confident, but they need conviction. And so we need to have programs to help them in that area, you know, fall down seven, stand up eight. And I, I, for one know, um, From my growing up, my experience, I've always been very confident. That's not been an issue. But the main difference between men and women is that women of the generation that I'm in and older grew up fighting to be at the table and being told yes. that they did not belong there. And so it was always this struggle and this kind of voice in the back of the head and that they have, so they have to overcome their own insecurities. Whereas if we start from the younger age groups now, the young girls, and we tell them that they do belong
1: there, we give them that yeah. we So they grow them. up understanding that. And then, and, 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 and males understanding that, you know, it's, that's just be just the norm then.
2: And you know what we need to do as well? I've spoken about this on a different interview that we did before. Women also need to find male counterparts in the industry that will support them, that will be their yes. mentor, that will be their agent for change because they're already established, yes. they have a network. And so we yes. teach young girls not only confidence but conviction and then they are more able to showcase what they can bring to the table and they get those established males who might be you know in the industry for many years to help put them in front of the right people to make those changes and to help you know shake the tree if you will
1: Totally. And I think it's not just, you know, groups like uh, Women in Aviation or Discovery or, you know, all the others that exist. Uh, it's, it's a collective uh, effort, isn't it? The support has to come from so many different angles. The government, the education, um, groups like us, the mindset of the industry. So it's just a very collective effort in the end. Exactly. And you
2: know, it really does, I like that you mentioned the government because it needs to come from policy. You know, every country, of course, is at different stages, but here in Hong Kong, there's something that's called the Women's Foundation. And they have some really amazing programs to help increase the amount of exposure and ability for women to be in the government to make policy changes. Um, and to make sure that the government is focusing on this, you know, because there's not always yes. programs that the governments are pushing. It's more by private companies such as, you know, Google, Goldman Sachs, you know, but we, we shouldn't rely only on private firms or nonprofit associations. No. We need to make sure that the governments are also putting this as part of their policy address.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, for example, in Malaysia, okay, the the education system. You know, whether you're looking at the universities, or private, or government schools, uh, it's not just. You know, you can't sort of approach the schools and say, you know, perhaps you need to think about doing this uh, or a program. It it's very um, you know um, managed by the government. So that's where, if you want to do anything here, in particular, because we, I live here, so I kind of understand the, the uh, setup. Uh, right. So it has to start from the government who will say, okay, let's look into it. And only then the educational institutions can can take a stand on that.
2: Yeah, and I think the way to continue the efforts is to continue to raise awareness through the association, continue to... Yes have speakers on the podcast and, and have those conversations with the schools because yes. as we speak with the schools, when the schools then meet with the government, they also can then bring this conversation to the table. Mm-hmm. So it's just about being vocal and having these crucial conversations and working together across mm-hmm. all levels mm-hmm. uh, and just making sure that, you know, we, we shine the spotlight on it.
1: Yes. I mean, I know it, it is a better impact if you do things face to face, but, you know the current situation is such so the i always feel that if you're trying to approach someone remotely you know through zoom or through uh um, you know a call it just makes it that much harder you know a face-to-face meeting to explain to present it, it definitely is looked at from a different perspective and a different angle so hopefully you know things will normalize or the new norm or however that's going to work we all yeah. are you know kind of thinking which way this is gonna head but we definitely are very positive and we can't wait as the we are team we can't wait to get out there to do the activities with uh, the youth and uh, you know whatever support we can get from our partners like yourself I And mean, we really really appreciate your support uh, for the we project Sarah and uh, we and also thank you so much I think uh, we probably can uh, call it um, you know the end of the podcast now uh, And uh, we appreciate your time and uh, your perspective and your thought process on this. Thank you so much, Sarah.
2: Thank you so much for having me as well, Katie and the team. This has been a pleasure. And I'm always here to support efforts for uh, women in aviation and young women in general. So please do let me know what other programs you might have as they develop and we can look on how we can collaborate. I'm very passionate about this area.
1: We will do. Um, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Sarah. You take care. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
0: Thanks so much, You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thanks thanks so much, Sarah and Katie, for the discussion today. Uh, To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. Do follow us on IG, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn on the We Are Project. For now, stay safe and take care. Bye.